Hey everyone, and welcome to the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wilde. Entertainment reporter by day, sweatpant connoisseur by night. From hashtag to movement, we believe that loving all sides of you is what's healthy. And healthy is hot. Join us as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true, and diving deep into how they got to where they are. And the best part? How health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, we don't hold back. There might be swearing, there's definitely going to be some laughing, and hopefully you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life. To live your healthiest hot life. Hi, everybody. Thanks again for coming back for another episode. This week, I get the pleasure, and I use that word very intentionally, to chat with one of the people I work with at Bell Media, and her name is Cynthia Loist. A lot of you might know her as one of the hosts on CTV's The Social, but she's also a national best-selling author. She just put out the book called Find Your Pleasure, The Art of Living a More Joyful Life. And I had so much fun really digging deep into this idea of pleasure because when I hear the word pleasure, immediately my mind goes somewhere naughty, you know, somewhere in the bedroom, or I think of guilty pleasure. And Cynthia's here to let us know that pleasure should be found in all areas of your life and that there shouldn't really be any guilt associated to it. I really, really enjoyed chatting with Sin, and I miss seeing her so much because usually we see each other every single day at work, but we're not going to work right now. So it was really nice to connect with her in this way, on this platform, to be able to talk about something as amazing as pleasure. This is exciting for me because as much as I miss seeing your face at the office where we both work, I'm very excited to be connecting with you today amidst the pandemic to talk about your new book, Find Your Pleasure, The Art of Living a More Joyful Life. Because I think right now, Sin, we need this book more than ever. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I obviously started writing this book quite a long time ago, and I never would have imagined maybe how relevant it is right now, because for me, it really was an exploration of my own sort of inner uh, dilemmas that were going on. Um, and I'm finding that I'm turning to my own advice more and more <laughs> in light of this current pandemic. What have been kind of your go-to pleasure hits lately with everything going on? Have you, like, you've been going back to your book? Like, what have you been using? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Right now, um, out of the book, I wrote a piece in there about um, looking to my cat to sort of understand uh, the way in which you can find pleasure in the smallest of ways. You know, cats are these like loungy creatures that will, you know, ask for cuddles when they need it, but they'll take a nap when they need it. And they're really just like, they're sort of simple. So I've been channeling my cat a lot lately, and I think a lot of other people have been. And that has been bringing me a lot of pleasure to sort of get outside of the rat race mentality a bit and turn inwards. Um, so yeah, I think I'm channeling my inner inner cat. Another thing that I've been doing that has been granting me huge amounts of pleasure is that at night I do this kind of meditation. And what I do is I, I will pick a memory 
Maybe it's a travel memory. Maybe it's uh, a dinner party with friends. Maybe it's some adventure that I've been on, um, something that involves food or the senses. And I'll do a deep dive in my mind and I'll try to remember every single detail. What did it smell like? What did it taste like? What did it feel like? What were the things we talked about? What is the place like? And I'll try to conjure. It's like a little time machine that I'm conjuring right before I go to bed. And it fills me with such joy to, to really remember vividly these, these precious memories. Oh, I love that. I'm definitely going to start doing that. And then I bet you your dreams are just reflective of that memory. And if it brought you joy in real life, then you get to bring joy into your subconscious mind too while you're sleeping. And then you wake up and you're just like, yeah, I had the best ride ever. Yes, exactly. But are you having crazy dreams right now? More than ever. And I think it's because my mind is less like clouded or maybe I'm getting more rest now because I'm home a lot more. Are you? Yeah, I mean, my sleep is sort of sporadic. I'll have these deep, incredibly luscious, juicy sleeps that are filled with like visits from the past, and like I like they're 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 really meandering and strange, and sometimes a little bit stressed out. I'll be honest. And then other times I have like crappy sleeps where I'm up half the night and my cat is talking and like whatever. So I'm just kind of that's why I really have I write write in the book about the power of a good nap, and it's as true now as it ever was. I think there's something to be said for having a little tiny. You have to time it right, but a little tiny like tiny out during the day give it to kids all the time we need to give it to ourselves you know i haven't napped properly since my university days and i used to have my nap scheduled down to a science it was like have an espresso go down for a 20 minute nap and then wake up ready to go but it was like i had to get up after 20 minutes because then the espresso was kicked in and then you're just kind of like buzzing in your sleep but i don't know if i could do that now but i used to be able to nap and i miss that so maybe this is going to be the time in my life where i find the pleasure in napping once again i would highly recommend chloe you deserve (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh well i'm glad that you're you know still finding the little pleasurable moments with everything going on and i hope that everyone who has this book has been doing the same but finding pleasure when there's this much chaos in the world is not the easiest thing so where can people start on their pleasure journeys you know for me, the, the whole idea behind the book really came from reaching a personal crisis. And, and uh, you know, I was going through a phase in life where I felt like um, I had it all and I was happy on the surface. Um, but inside, I was having this inner turmoil. And it all came to a head one day that really caused me, I share this story in the book, and it caused me to sort of reflect and rearrange the way in which I was living my life. And it also caused me to try to think about what I had lost in in um, my ambitiousness, um, parts of myself from becoming a mother, and then also you know my drive to become um, the success at my career had had sort of fragmented me in many ways. And I think um, even though people obviously that's my story, but I think right now what we're seeing is people who are going through a fragmentary and a fragmentation of themselves and uh, little bits and pieces in them are scattered all over the place. And many people are sitting around going, who am I in the face of this? You know, if you've lost your job, you're probably wondering what's next and how will I define myself? If you're suddenly uh, a parent who used to work out of the home, suddenly you're a de facto teacher. Who <laughs> am I is the big driving question that's, that people are struggling with right now. And I think this is a great opportunity to simplify. And um, we don't need a lot as humans uh, to, to, uh, to find joy. And I think for me, it really comes down to tapping into our senses 
to, to make time for breathing, to make time for reflecting, to make time for be taking stock of the things that we do have as opposed to focusing on the things that we don't. Um, and of the things that we're afraid of happening. We can't control right now. So I'm, I'm really feeling like one of the, the, the sources of pleasure is kind of leaning into the unknown and accepting that people have been in far worse scenarios than, than this current situation. As dire as it is, and I don't mean to make light, for many people, this is a very, very um, tense situation. People are struggling for money. People are living in tense relationships where they're in enclosed spaces. And I don't want to make light of that. But for many other people, this is an opportunity to not make, um, make this into an awfulizing uh, situation, but to actually find small ways to, uh, to turn inward and, and uncover little jewels within yourself. And I think those jewels exist in all of us on good days and on bad days. But it's sometimes hard to remember what brings us joy. I think for a lot of us, we're on this go, 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 go track where we're just constantly trying to achieve our goals and take that next step and, and you know, climb that ladder, whatever it is that we're working for, that sometimes we forget what actually brings us joy and we forget the power that joy actually brings us and the pleasure in which that we can find that joy. Like it's hard sometimes when you look back and you're like, I don't even remember what makes me happy. Like I've just been on this journey for so long and on autopilot for so long that I forget how to slow down and find the pleasure in life. For those of us that are on this go path, how can we kind of take a moment to find those little jewels and those little nuggets of pleasure that are in all of us? I think we have to quiet the noise, right? Like you said, um, and in the book I talk about this, we have been given a lot of scripts about what, especially women in particular, about what it means to be uh, a successful person, whether that means, oh, you are successful in your career, or um, you, know, you uh, are a mother, or like there are ways in which the world has said, this is what makes a, a woman um, considered you know, interesting or respectable or, or successful. And I think we need to throw out all of those scripts right now. Right now, we're all just kind of struggling and we're human. And I think the first step is, is again, quieting down that noise. And then you start to listen to it late at night. There's a little tap, 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 probably at, at your door of the inside of you. And saying to you, well, remember when you were you know, six years old and you used to love to dance? Mm. Or remember when you used to spend hours in your room when you were 10 and you used to just draw? Or you used to write poetry? Or you remember that time when your grandma taught you how to knit? and you knitted a sweater, but then you gave it all up. It's those little places that, that people have forgotten, the places of themselves that they've forgotten in the rat race of life. And so again, uncovering those jewels is a very personal journey. Mm. Um, in the book, I talk about this experience of the, the acronym AH, which is spelled A-A-A-H. So each one of these letters stands for something. So the first one is attention. So it's uh, turning your attention to the ways in which you schedule your life. So obviously most of our schedules right now have turned upside down. But uh, what I might suggest to some people who are feeling like they need to still have a very regimented life right now, um, maybe carve out some time in your schedule to just be quiet and to just maybe play. Um, and you'll find that we've spent, we spent a lot of time just scrolling aimlessly and it's not good for us and it causes us anxiety and it doesn't make us usually very productive. So I would suggest draw your attention to your schedule and carve out little moments. The second A is for uh, awareness and it's an awareness of how we are spending our time and what we're focusing our energies on and trying to shift that slightly. 
Um, authenticity is about being honest with yourself, and uh, that's the third A. And um, for some people, uh, they might, if they're honest with themselves in those quiet moments of the night, they might recognize that some of the things that they think of as pleasures in their life are actually kind of pains masquerading as pleasures. And I give the example of the fact that I used to be um, a heavy smoker. And if you'd asked me at the time, I would have said, oh, I love smoking. It's amazing. It makes me relaxed and I would never mm -hmm. give it up. And really, I, you know, it, it took me a long time to realize that was actually not a very truthful and authentic statement. That when I actually was quiet with myself, I knew that it was a monkey on my back and that I needed to get rid of that pain in order to make room for more genuine pleasures. And lastly, in the ah is the H. And that H for me stands for help. And it's about people being able to, you know, and especially now more than ever, is ask for help. And whether that means connecting with a family member um, and doing virtual chats, uh, you know, you might, you can find a virtual babysitter in a good friend for a little while. <laughs> you know, um, it's also about trying to uh, reach out to your partner um, when you can. And those, those of us who are not in partnerships, uh, you know, making sure that you are keeping your mental health top of mind and using online resources to, to make sure that you are um, keeping yourself as sound as possible. Because this is trying time. It really is. I love that acronym, by the way, like, ah, which is like something I think of when you breathe in, you breathe out and you just have this like wonderful sigh of pleasure really by like taking in a deep breath. And now we can use this acronym of awareness, attention, authenticity, and of help to kind of help us focus in on does this bring me pleasure or does this bring me pain? It's and a beautiful breath, thing breath, that you've created. Thank you. And breath, I mean, right now I've been thinking a lot more about breath since this particular virus attacks the respiratory system. And I've been thinking about the meaning behind and, and the gratefulness I have every single breath I take in. And so I've been really conscious during the day to take deep sort of like belly expanding breaths and like letting out that air um, intentionally as if I'm, I'm releasing stress or I'm getting rid of a kind of like um, toxic uh, element in my, in my life, especially if I'm feeling stressed out. So breath is more important now than ever. Yeah, I agree. I lately, because life has drastically changed when I wake up, I've been doing meditation. I love that you're doing yours at nighttime. For me, it's kind of how I like to start the day. And it always comes back to breath. And I, I keep kind of motioning my energy towards gratitude towards my breath, because even though there's a lot of shit going on, I'm like, I am here. I am breathing. My lungs are doing their thing. We're good. Like, you know, we're good. This is the foundation on which the day is going to be built. And we're going to come back to our breath whenever anxiety starts to trickle up. And I know you've spoken openly that, that you also have struggled with anxiety. And I feel like this time that we're in right now is causing a lot of anxiety for everyone, for people who have never experienced anxiety before. And I think coming back to breath, um, whether it's to find pleasure or to calm down or to recenter yourself is a really powerful tool that we can use right now and also for the rest of our lives. Oh yeah, anxiety is such an interesting thing, uh, and you've gone through it. I mean, I've gone through it through periods of my life, and I and I will admit that in you know maybe about a week and a half ago, I had a I had a day where I was really really struggling with feeling like a vice grip was sort of 
attaching itself onto my chest. And I thought, oh God, if there was an oppressant, I felt almost like a, like a, a claustrophobia was setting in. And so, and I'm sure other people are going through this. And, and especially those, I think about people who are in, you know, small condos or in uh, basement apartments. And I do think that the city has to do, start to do better with um, communicating. In my fantasy world, because we've lost parks and we've, we're, we're being increasingly told not to go outside very far, I think we need to turn our attention and I hope the city does this soon to those people who have less availability to outdoor space. In my head, I would love it if they eventually could close down certain smaller streets. You know, the way that Kensington Market in Toronto on Sundays would often close to, to traffic in order to focus on pedestrians. Because I think, I think we all need um, ways to quell our anxiety and breath is one great one and sleep is great and eating well, yeah. all these things. But also we do need to, to, to breathe in air and we need to have the availability to move our bodies when we can. So yeah, I hope to see more in that direction. Oh, I miss fresh air and I miss working out, but like I've been using, you talk about small condos, like we currently live in a pretty small condo and it's, it's tight, but like we just are making use of every little corner. Like we've got a little meditation corner, we've got a little workout area, but it's a struggle, but we will get through this. And I think when we do get through this, we are going to have such a greater appreciation for the abundances we have in our lives and things that maybe before we took for granted. And I think that that is a beautiful silver lining that I hope that collectively as a, as a human race, we can come out of this being like, okay, we need to appreciate what we have because something like this happens and we realize that we lose a lot of it. I want to talk about this, this idea of pleasure because I think for a lot of people, you think pleasure, you think either like something naughty, something in the bedroom, or you think guilty pleasure. And you're kind of out here saying, mm -mm, A, it's not just in the bedroom and B, it definitely should not be guilty. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny when I actually first uh, decided to create my website, uh, findyourpleasure.com, when I tried to secure that URL, I quickly discovered that I'm not exactly sure what it was beforehand, who had that URL, but it was definitely something on a kind of spicy side. Because when we started trying to get Google ads, um, and I think another few places, they were all very reticent initially, because I, I think it, we had a pre-existing um, reputation before we <laughs> launched. And it reminded me, like, if you do a quick search on the word pleasure, most things that come up are related to sex. And it reminds me of this kind of very puritanical view. Uh, for a long time, there's been this focus on happiness. Like, you, you pick up a magazine and it would say, like, five easy ways to find happiness. And happiness, you know, the easiest, the best ways to find your inner happy person. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think in that conversation, pleasure got sidelined as the sort of self-indulgent um, or tawdry cousin to happiness. And I think a lot of that has to do with its association with sex. But I also think it's it's about the, the, I was talking about scripts earlier on, and there's these sort of scripts that women get that's like, you can talk, but don't be too loud or you'll be seen as bossy. And yep. you can eat, but don't eat too much or else you'll be seen as fat or you might gain weight. And you can have sex, but definitely don't ask for too much or exactly what you want because then you'll be seen as slutty. And so like there's this tipping point for women in particular about the ways in which we're kind of boxed in. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, disassociating us from our own inner voice and from our own inner desires and pleasures. And so I think it's a radical act for women to come forward and say, you know what, I'm going to eat what I want and I don't care I, I, if I gain weight. I'm going to say what I want. I don't care if you think I'm bossy. I'm going to ask for what I want in bed. I don't care if you think I'm slutty. I'm still worthy of love. And in fact, I'm deserving of pleasure and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. 
Ooh, I mean, I would love to be able to say all the things you just said, but I think I got some work to do on that. But I think you're right. We, we should be proud of the things that we want. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be ashamed of what we want, whether it's in the bedroom or in the workplace or in a friendship or whatever it might be. We are allowed to take up space and to use our voices and to go and get that pleasure because we all deserve it. That's right. And I think, I mean, you know, sex is obviously a part of pleasure and a, and a life well lived, but that looks different for every single person. And um, I do think one of the disservices that we do, and I, and I talk about this a lot, both in the book and on my website, is that we, we back burner women's pleasure right from the get go. And one of the ways we do that is, is right at the beginning, we sideline um, our anatomy. We don't talk about anatomy uh, between the male body and the female body in equivalent ways. So for example, my son would learn, I'm sure, in anatomy class when he gets there, he'll learn that there's a thing called a penis that boys have, I'm putting that in quotes, and then and there's what girls have is the vagina. In fact, those two are not analogous. Those two are not exactly the same. If you want to talk about sameness, the penis and the vulva, and the, the word mm. vulva includes all of the parts, including the pleasure parts, including the clitoris, which serves no other purpose on a female body than pleasure. And it's important to note this because the fact that our discomfort around saying the word vulva um, is a thing, it tells us everything we need to know about how we set up girls to not prioritize their own pleasure as they go forward in life. When you eradicate it by just omission, um, and not talking about it, you are telling girls that that is not a thing that should be important to them. Wow. I never thought about that. But it you're right. Like, <laughs> like thinking back to when I was young, sure, vagina and penis were terms that we learned in school and, you know, little kids laughed at, but you never heard, like you weren't being taught words like vulva and especially not clitoris ever, even as a teenager, that was like something that people just didn't talk about. It wasn't yeah. until my 30s that I actually realized what the clitoris actually looks like, that I saw it, that it's, it, what you see is literally the tip of an iceberg, and what exists underneath is actually these legs. And you can find sculptures of this on, uh, like, or, or images of this on Google very easily, but it's like this incredible structure that is a lot, because we do, in, in utero, you know, we don't start off, we start off as one thing, we start off as female. And then the hormones change, you know, so then the clitoris becomes a penis and then the, the you know, basically kind of like the bodies are not that different. They one morphs into the other one, depending mm -hmm. on what hormones come into play. And so I, like, if I knew, I feel like if I knew as a teenager that I was walking around with this, you know, powerhouse inside of me, I think I would, you know, I think I would have walked with a bit more of a strut in my step. I think I wouldn't have felt so conflicted or quite so conflicted about, about my desires. It would give me a kind of like feeling of swagger. <laughs> yes. Like walking walk tall, walking proud, owning it. But yeah, I, I certainly didn't do that. It sounds like you didn't do that either when you were young. I mean, I wonder what we can do as a society to really help change that narrative so that future generations can walk tall and can walk proud. I think it is about building up confidence um, in, in girls in particular as they're growing up and getting them to be in touch with their body and, and talking about masturbation more openly and, and self-pleasure and understanding yourself and how to use your voice. And simultaneously, I think we also have to do a number on the way in which we raise boys, that they, they, they get boxed in with these stereotypical scripts in a totally different way that also doesn't serve 
serve them well and doesn't serve us, um, especially in heterosexual relationships, very well at all. And I, and I, when I did my book tour, I met so many men who came out, um, and and I ha and a lot of them shared stories about the ways in which, you know, at least with women, we talk about the pleasures of communicating with our girlfriends or our friends. We talk about, oh, I'm going to go on a spa day and I'm going to go get a massage. I'm going to go to a pedicure. It's mm. not as common for men to uh, to go and indulge in, in quote unquote, like sort of what are seen as feminine uh, pleasures. And I think the disservice that they get, they're allowed to show their pleasures in what? Sports? Um, like I'm using stereotypes, of course, yeah. here. Um, and sex. So for them, they get limited to um, the, the ways in which they're allowed to express pleasure. Oftentimes it's reduced to just a handful of things that are considered socially acceptable. And that's shitty for them too. So we need to really expand in both directions in order to have a more fulsome and, and joyful life. I love that men came out on your book tour as well. I really love that so much. And I love that you welcomed them and that they felt they could come and, and speak to you about pleasure in such an open and honest and very candid way. It was so amazing and they were wonderful. And I heard really incredible stories. There was a lot of tears shed and I wasn't expecting that. Um, there were women who came up to me who were in their 50s and 60s also talking about having just left marriages after being in them for 30, 40 years and raised children. And that they actually, they totally identified with that idea of having no idea what they liked that they'd been living so long in service of being a good wife and a good mother and a good worker that they had no clue. And it could, I mean, it could bring me to tears right now just thinking mm. about it. They didn't even know what to do when they had a moment alone. And that this, this whole idea was just giving them permission to, to go out and, and take the time and prioritize that uh, investigation for themselves. And I just felt so privileged to, to hear from each and every one of them. And I, and I, I, I'm looking forward to hearing back. <laughs> I've heard back yeah. from a few people, um, who are, who are kind of like, they'll send pictures of things like tonight, I, they will have a glass of wine and like a brownie and a bath. And I'm just, <laughs> go, 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 yes. go. The ultimate hat trick in my books, <laughs> yes. brownie, bath, a bottle of wine. Yeah. I, I think it's amazing that you, created this book when you yourself felt like you were maybe not in a position where you were experiencing a lot of joy, where from the outside, people are like, oh, great, great partner, great kid, great job. And yet you are, of course, still human. You are still, of course, on this quest to find the ultimate pleasure and the ultimate joy and the ultimate, you know, fulfillment. And that's where your book started. And now it's out and people are reading it. And you, you know, had the, the pleasure of going and doing this book tour and having people come out. But did you ever expect that people would respond to it in this way, in such like an emotionally visceral way? I mean, I didn't, I tried not to think too much about, uh, about what the response would be. I'll be honest, the, the few nights before the book was like launched, yeah. I, I remember lying in bed just thinking, what if everybody hates it? What if I get the <gasps> shittiest reviews? What if people crap all over it? And then I had to sit with that. Uh, because this is this is a great exercise for people with anxieties. It's, it's the play the what if game. So I had to keep asking myself, you know, okay, so what if that happens? And the thing I kept coming back to was, well, I still accomplished something. I still put a pen to paper or put like my fingers on keyboards and I still worked and I, and I took photographs and put this thing together. And so if I'm the only person in the world who actually got joy out of doing that, then mm. and that's okay. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be ideal, but I still had to work on <laughs> 
because it's that thinking, what, you know, that fear of what if people don't like it that I think inhibits people from starting any project. And I've been guilty of this in the past before too. Like, oh, I can't really do X, Y, or Z because I won't be good at it. And then why should I even bother? And I think we, we, we'd be wise to think less about what other people will think. And this is applicable to almost everything. What other people will think about what it is that we produce and just produce for the pure joy of producing. I love that in the book you talk about that. Well, like face your fears is one of the, is one of the sections. And I think, especially as adults, we sometimes let fear run our lives, but instead we should face them full on. I mean, what, what do we have to lose? Take a chance, raise your hand in that meeting, go sign up for that class, be more bold in the bedroom, whatever it is that, that makes you feel a little bit fearful. I think it takes a lot of courage and a lot of strength to be able to go up and face that fear and see what's on the other side. And I think beautiful things are on the other side, even if it's just a lesson in, okay, maybe I didn't like that as much as I was going to like it, but I think it's, it's worth exploring and it's worth experimenting, especially in the face of fear. Yeah, because you never know what joys lie on the other side of that fear. Like I share the story in the book about facing your fears that, and not everyone knows this, that I had worked behind the scenes as a producer for years in television and I had less than zero interest in being in front of the camera. Like I can't even express to you, I'd worked with on-air talent before. I, I found a lot of them, I'm gonna be totally honest, a bit nutty. And, <laughs> and a lot of times I felt like in, in, this wasn't true across the board, but a lot of times the on-air hosts were being fed lines and I just thought I didn't have a huge, um, I didn't have any desire to be it and I didn't have a huge amount of, I would say, um, respect for a number of them as well. Um, but it really it came out of a desperation around 2008, 2009, the bottom was falling out of the economy. And I could tell the, the, the group of um, the show that I was managing was going to be eliminated. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I thought out of, out of desperation, there was an, an executive at the time who had suggested that I should try some on air. And I, and I took that as a, as a kind of like, he's basically saying, like I, I read the subtext, I read the room, which yes. is this, like, maybe I should try this out because it might save my job. So I came to him and I, I said, okay, I can host and produce um, a show and here's where I think it could land. It could be about sex because my background is in, in, in sexuality and sex education. And, um, and, he, and to my surprise and shock, he, he said, okay, let's do it. And then I kind of was thrown in the deep end of the pool of like realizing that this, this thing that I wasn't even sure I wanted to do was about to happen. And so I started this late night show and I, well, before that I started, I thought, oh God, I'm petrified. And Jason, my partner, he's a director of photography. So he would literally sit, we would sit at night and he would set up a camera and he'd get me to kind of talk to just sort of practice. There's no one else in the room, just him, my partner of almost 20 years. And I could hardly string a sentence together. I was so Aww. terrified. My thoughts would, wouldn't be like, they couldn't even hold together long enough for me to construct a sentence. It was horrible. And I took some improv classes. Um, I did a lot of work. I did Toastmasters, which is a kind of, if you ever have to give like a, a toast at a wedding, there's a, a group for free you can go to, not now probably, but maybe online. Um, and you can test out how to do public speaking. And so all these things helped, but ultimately I spent about a year doing a show that I thought, mm, I kind of suck at this. And I did some really embarrassing things. And uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I hope never sees the light of day again. <laughs> and I had to keep on, uh, there was something inside of me that thought, okay, what is it that's driving me? And I had to ask that question often to myself. And what I knew was true for sure was that I liked to tell stories. 
And that had been true when I was creating um, screenplays in university. And that had been true when I was writing stories when I was a kid. And that had been true when I was a producer for a documentary series. And it was, I knew it was still true if I was using my own voice. And so I just figured, I gave myself a timeline. I was like, if this isn't good in like a year, if I don't feel good about this, if I still feel like I want to puke every time I'm doing it, then I'm going to quit. But if I can, if, if I can get past that, then, then, then there's something here. And thankfully, I don't want to vomit when I do this stuff anymore. <laughs> Which is a good thing because you do it five days a week, every week. Yeah, I mean, I know that feeling. I hear your story and it, it's a different story, but I know that feeling because this industry was completely, came out of left field for me. And I remember thinking, gosh, for a really long time when I started at much, like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I don't know anything about this world. How do I have anything to offer? And I'm so glad I stuck it out. And I'm so glad you stuck it out because it's scary at first. It's terrifying. And then, but you kind of have to give it a chance and you have to give it a shot. And sometimes like for you, you gave yourself the one year mark. You committed a lot of time and a lot of energy to be able to truly make you know, a well-informed decision on whether to stay or not. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us is sometimes it takes a little bit of work. Sometimes you're not going to know right away if it's worth sticking it out or not, but you just have to at least be able to dip your toes in the water, be open-minded, be a sponge, be fearless and see what's on the other side. And I'm so glad that you did because I can't imagine the Canadian media landscape without you, Sim, honestly. <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, it's, it, I think so many people... Uh, have come again to, um, to these book launches and, and said things like, I really want to do a, uh, like make a cookbook or I really want to do what you do. Or, and my advice is always the same. It's just like, just do it. Like you don't need permission from anyone to start. And that, that's the beauty of the, the, the time we're living in where you can create, if you love to cook, you can create a YouTube channel tomorrow, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And now is the best time. Like, what better time if you're not, uh, if you're, if your your schedule has slowed in any way, um, to start doing this stuff? And and again, it's a great way to kind of battle out if you do have some lingering fears about if you have something to say, if you, uh, you know, like all those fears that we ha all have. This is a great way to like a great time to get through those. And I think it's a great time to do one of the projects that you suggest in this book, which is to create a pleasure pouch. Yes. I mean, I mean, A, it's a delicious thing to say out loud, a pleasure pouch. But then when you break it down, it, it just, it makes, gives me goosebumps. <laughs> I have so many pleasure pouches and I will say I probably have a pleasure, I have pleasure drawers, which I do write about <laughs> also in, in the book as well. Um, but a pleasure pouch to me is like, let your imagination go wild. You can have, like you can construct one if you're not a seamstress, um, just by taking an old purse or, I mean, I love the idea of taking something that's like a meaningful, um, everyone has a dress or a, a piece of fabric or something. Maybe it's a, an heirloom or, a, you know, maybe it's your mom's wedding dress that you don't know what to do with. And if you're allowed to, maybe it's just create a simple stitch around it and then fill that uh, pleasure pouch with things that bring you joy. And it might be, depending on what you're seeking out in your life, um, again, something that you was passed down to you uh, from somebody who's no longer here, something that when you hold it brings back a little bit of the soul and the essence of that person. It might be photographs that, that are little time machines that transport you in time. Um, it might be, uh, again, like even just like things that you can essentially touch or things that you can smell. Um, 
I also like the idea of having a, a specifically like a sexy one that you fill with like go to like have your hit your favorite piece of erotica have your favorite like thing that you like to like an undergarment you love to wear maybe a blindfold uh, maybe a little toy that uh, <laughs> that that gets you going um, some lube always I'm a big fan big fan yep. um, so I feel like these things are good to have they're like your tickle trunks <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> I like I like that you're like let's have designated ones like forget having one pouch like I'm gonna give you you can have a pouch you can have a, a drawer in your bedroom a drawer in the living room so wherever you are in your home in your space you can go get a little pleasure hit um, one of the things that you show in your book that you have in in one of your pleasure drawers is this beautiful bedazzled bra <laughs> that so is from like another time in your life. Yes. Well, yes, I used to be a belly dancer. And so for years I was moonlighting while I was a producer in the evenings. I had this whole, Jason used to laugh so hard because he'd be like, we'd be like midnight on a Saturday night. He'd be driving me to the middle of, I don't know, somewhere in a suburb with a sword in the back seat and my <laughs> costumes. And like, you'd walk into these shisha filled um, clubs and there'd be a live band and all the smell of music and the sounds. And it was just, it was electrifying and amazing. And I was such an honor to do that. I mean, I went to Egypt for a while as well um, and studied there. And it was just this really, really fascinating um, time of my life. And you, so yeah, I have all these incredibly bejeweled, bedazzled, gorgeous, intricate, complicated uh, costumes throughout my house. But I, in one drawer, I have this particular bra. And I mean, I bust it out every once in a while. And I think, I, I think I mentioned this on the social the other day too. I've been, I've been fantasizing about doing a belly dancing class again on Instagram live. Um, but I haven't like Chloe, I gotta be honest, like right now I'm so inward facing, like it's nice to be able to chat with you, but mm. I, that half the day, I feel like I just need to sit quietly. So I, when I get there and I think I will, cause I think we're in this for the long haul. I look forward to, 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 you know, I don't, I don't know, like unearthing and unleashing those parts of my, my body that haven't really moved in that way. I do. A part of me does miss it. When I left it, I was done with it. But now a part of me now does start to miss it. And I'm reminded of that when I open up that drawer. <laughs> oh, I, I hope when the time comes, when it's the right time for you and you do decide to go on IG Live and do a little belly dancing class, I, uh, I would like to step up to the plate and give it a shot. Um, I, I struggle with my sexuality, my sensuality, and it's something that I want to work on, especially after reading your book, just kind of owning it and not feeling guilty or ashamed of it. And I think belly dancing is such a beautiful form of dancing where it's just like, it, just, they almost, anytime I've seen a belly dancer, it's almost like they get lost in the music and their body just moves as an energy force. Like I just imagine all this energy coming out of their fingertips and out of their feet and out of their face and their eyes. And this, I don't know, I get mesmerized by it. It was honestly my first step. Like I started taking lessons when I was probably 21. It was my first, I'd come out of a bad breakup and I, there were all these signs. It was like a mystery. Like I had picked up a book I'd read. Um, it's called Skinny Legs and All. And one of the main characters is uh, uh, a belly dancer. And as she's dancing the dance of the seven veils, all of the characters uh, in the book are watching her and they're having these epiphanies about the world. And I was just so transfixed by this book. And then I literally, I remember putting down that book and I was opening up a phone book. Remember phone books? They existed at one point in time. And, I, and I, my, my, my eyes fell down to this place that was offering belly dancing lessons. 
license. And it literally was like, oh, this is a sign from somewhere that I maybe should be doing this. There was some other thing that happened. But anyway, I started taking lessons and it literally did, because it sounds like you had a similar experience to me. Like I, I grew up with a lot of shame around body and around, no one talked about sex. I had, a, there was a very religious sort of undertone. And, um, and so this first step really changed. It, I remember watching some dancers in early classes and they were of all ages and shapes and sizes. And these women looked so fucking sexy mm. and it shifted it. And, and then even just the process of learning to move my hips, there's, there's something to be said for that, that base chakra. And I, you know, I used to eye roll some of that stuff, but there's definitely something when you start to unlock it was like I was being given these ancient secrets to, I don't know what women would have, because you go to weddings. Like I, I danced at many a wedding and that's what the belly dancer was there for, was to, you know, back in the, the day, was to sort of give little, I think, signs about what was to come for the couple. Um, and so I, I, there was just, there is something really magical about it. So I, I hope if I do one of these, I'm going to expect to see you there. <laughs> do let me know. You can, you can hold me accountable. I will be there for anyone who has two left feet, but I want to support you and I will always continue to support you. I want to congratulate you so much on this book. I know you worked on it really hard and you, you can feel your essence in this. I mean, you put it all out on the line from your family photos to your history, to your, your everything. I mean, this book is you. When you were working on this and putting it out, were you ever nervous about maybe sharing too much of yourself or you, were you ready to be an open book in the literal and metaphorical sense? I mean, I, I think by the point in time I was writing it, I, I decided that I was going to share. The only hard thing, and I think your partner's like this too, Jason's really shy. Mm. And um, so like, I kind of just, I didn't, I don't remember really asking him. I just sort of told him, I was like, I'm using a couple photos. And I was like, here, this wins. And he was just, thankfully was very supportive um, of that. He's just a very, um, in, he's a big introvert and doesn't, doesn't like the spotlight at all. And then the other thing I was a bit concerned of is Jaya, because he's at an age now where he's starting to be more cognizant of, of, um, of just the fact that his mom does something where a lot of people sort of know who she is. And yeah. It, at times it makes him uncomfortable. So, you know, that, that did give me cause for a pause. Um, but now he seems really joyful about the book. And, and, I, and I hope as he gets older, he'll recognize it as this sort of timepiece, as a, as a sort of love letter, letter to him. I think it's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I think it's great that you thought about that. And it's interesting too, when you are in a relationship where the two people are very different like that and choose to live different lives. And yeah, I'm glad that you got the support from the whole family to do it. And I hope everyone picks this up. And uh, Sin, I appreciate you taking the time to do this so, so much. Thank you for asking me, Chloe. I'm, I'm wishing you landscapes of pleasure. I just, uh, I, I, I love watching your journey. So joyful. Oh. And before we end it off, I always end it the same way. Sin, what does healthy is hot mean to you? For some people, it's a mantra of feeling, uh, something that they live by, maybe the, the FYP kind of philosophy. Huh, oh, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I think when I hear uh, you talk about healthy is hot, I think it, it encompasses the idea of health and wellness, which is such a vast idea. There's a, there's a, a beauty and a spiciness and and uh, a friskiness Ooh. to the idea of of people starting to recognize that health is such a broad term and it doesn't mean you have to look a certain way and it doesn't mean that you have to be a certain way in order to be healthy i think only you internally can decide if you're being honest with yourself what what health looks like and that once you discover that i think that 
becomes confidence, which becomes hotness. <laughs> oh, and I now believe that pleasure is also a big part of health because we all deserve it. So you deserve it. So go enjoy those pleasure drawers. I'm going to go try to create a couple of mine here at home. And I can't wait to see you back in person doing what we do at HQ. Awesome. You too. Talk to you soon. And just like that, another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Chloe Wilde. If you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to subscribe so you never miss out. Rate and leave us a comment. Follow us on Instagram at Healthy is Hot. And remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. See you next week.